Good morning at 6 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick. In downtown London, it's mainly cloudy. We are sitting at 10 degrees. We'll head over to the Lexus of London Traffic Center now and check in with Nick Van Overloop. Main and side roads inside the city are moving well this morning. Just watch for a road closure on Clark between Kaleli and Fanshawe Park Road for bridge work. The 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford look to be moving well. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. We'll get to 15 degrees today, but it's going to be a rocky ride. We've got rain this morning, a stiff southwest wind, and then a really howling west wind this afternoon after low pressure deepening as it goes, runs by with a cold front and mostly cloudy sky with sunny breaks. But the west wind, 60 to 70 kilometers an hour, maybe an 80 gust, and 15 degrees starts to drop, minus 2 and clearing tonight. Cloudy and 6 tomorrow, chance of wet flurries early Wednesday and maybe some rain showers in the afternoon. Uh, a sunny breaks too, but only 4 degrees. Today's high 15. Right now it is 10 degrees. The Middlesex London Health Unit reported an additional 18 cases of COVID-19 along with one new death on Sunday. The total number of cases in the region now stands at 215 along with the death toll at 10. 26 of the cases are in long-term care homes and five are in retirement homes. Meantime, officials in Huron-Perth confirmed a resident at a Stratford long-term care home died over the weekend. In a statement, they say the resident at the Greenwood Court long-term care home was in their 80s and became sick with COVID-19 symptoms back on April 3rd. Well, the spread of COVID-19 in Canada's epicenter for the outbreak continues to expand. Quebec and Ontario have nearly 20,000 of the 24,383 confirmed and presumptive cases in this country. Together, they account for 602 of Canada's 717 deaths from the novel coronavirus. Meantime, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took a day off Easter Sunday from updating the nation on COVID-19, but Trudeau did release a video. I know that for many Canadians, it won't be easy to celebrate Easter without being surrounded by our extended family or a larger group of loved ones. But we have to do it for the safety of all Canadians. Federal officials are due to provide an update today on measures for seniors, home care and temporary foreign workers during the COVID-19 crisis. The Prime Minister's office says the news will come from public health officials and cabinet ministers. Well, as thousands of Canadian manufacturers shift to produce personal protective equipment, Premier Doug Ford says the supplies Ontario is receiving internationally are not arriving as advertised. Global's Jordan Armanis has more. Premier Doug Ford says the race for personal protective equipment has left the province screaming buyer's remorse. A company over in Asia actually contacted the federal government and said they found blobs with mold on it. I think it was 100,000. Another company shipped in 200,000. We caught them. That's a big difficulty. He says poor standards and reliability has left provinces waiting too long for PPE only to be disappointed. You don't know what you're going to get until they land and, and then you start opening up the, the boxes and, and doing the, the testing. And Ford says Canada's manufacturing potential will ensure there's no price on public health in the future. We have the ingenuity, the skills, the manufacturing might and the engineering might. After this, we can go to Asia and save, what, 10 cents, 15 cents on a mask? It's not worth it. Jordan Armanis, Global News. Christians here in London and around the world spent their Easter Sunday isolated in their homes because of the novel coronavirus. Pastors used the holiday to preach about the belief of Christ's resurrection to empty pews. St. Peter's Square in the Vatican was barricaded to keep crowds out, while one church in Florida drew a large turnout for a drive-in service in a parking lot. 
and tornadoes are ravaging the American South. In the last 40 hours, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee reported at least 40 twisters. ABC's Kenneth Moten has more. Overnight, severe storms wreaking havoc across the South. Multiple tornadoes touched down. Got a funnel cloud right here in front of me. Leaving nearly half a million people without power and forcing several states to declare emergencies. In Mississippi, several people were killed, including a sheriff's deputy and his wife. Much of the region is under flash, flood, tornado, and thunderstorm warnings and watches. Time now for sports, powered by Hanford's Tire and Service. Motor racing great Sterling Moss has died at the age of 90. The daring and speed-loving Englishman was widely regarded as the greatest Formula One driver never to win the world championship. Moss's wife says he died peacefully at his London home following a long illness. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Blake Lambert. Canada's main stock index will look to continue its most recent success when markets reopen later today. It ended its best week in more than a decade on Thursday after a massive intervention by the U.S. Federal Reserve. The S&P TSX Composite Index closed up 241 points at 14,166. That's the highest closing in nearly a month. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 285 points at 23,719. The S&P 500 Index was up nearly 40 points at 2,789, while the Nasdaq Composite was up 62 points at 8,153. Japan's Nikkei did not follow that positive trend this morning, falling 455 points to 19,043. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 71.78 cents U.S. Coming up next, The Morning Show with Devin Peacock right here on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. From the 980 CFPL Lexus of London Traffic Center, I'm Nick Van Overloop. Just some light. From the 980 CFPL Lexus of London Traffic Center, I'm Nick Van Overloop. Just some light delays on main and side roads inside the city. Clark Road is closed between Kaleli and Fanshawe Park Road for bridge restoration. Major highways look to be moving well this morning. And as always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519 <clears throat> From the 980 CPL Lexus of London Traffic Center, I'm Nick Van Overloop. Just some light delays on main and side roads inside the city. Clark Road is closed between Kaleli and Fanshawe Park Road for bridge restoration. Major highways look to be moving well this morning. And as always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. From the 980 CFPL Lexus of London Traffic Center, I'm Nick Van Overloop. Main roads and intersections are looking good this morning. Just watch for a road closure on Clark between Kaleli and Fanshawe Park Road for bridge work. The 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford and Hamilton are problem-free. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson.
From the 980 CPL Lexus of London Traffic Center, I'm Nick Van Overloop. Just some light traffic volume on main and side roads inside the city. Clark Road is closed between Kaleli and Fanshawe Park Road for bridge work. No issues to report on the major highways running through the city west of Sarnia and east to Woodstock and Brantford. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. Good morning, everyone. Hello and welcome to the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Hope your Monday morning is going well. Hope you had a good Easter weekend, be it long or short or something in between. Uh, rain this morning, chance of thunder, windy this afternoon, sunny, high of 15 today, clear uh, tonight, low minus 2. Enjoy the high of 15 today. It's not going to get that high for the next couple of days. We've got a high of 6 coming tomorrow, high of 4 Wednesday, looking like maybe a, even a high of 4 on Thursday as well. And even though we got some rain this morning, got a chance of thunder, as I was saying, uh, not the greatest in terms of every other day for Everything else besides uh, besides the temperature, you got cloud tomorrow, uh, some showers on Wednesday, could have some wet flurries on Wednesday, could have some wet flurries on uh, Thursday as well. So um, Mother Nature showing us that uh, once again, uh, April still has some fun in store for us, quarantine slash self-isolation or otherwise. Don't know if you uh, saw, I've been interested just to watch how different you know, uh, entertainment shows have stayed on the air. All the late night hosts are, uh, I think, back at this point. The daily hosts, I've kind of talked about how it's just a little bit different and how you have to do everything earlier in the day just because of the process of filming something. And they're all filming it on their iPhones. They're sending it back uh, to be edited and back and forth. Or, so the communication is obviously... Uh, huge in this, but it also slows down everything because you can't just walk over to someone and say, hey, what do you think of this? What do you like about this? If there's something they're editing, you got to go back and forth. So it's just a more laborious uh, uh, process. Saturday Night Live uh, returned over the weekend. I uh, I watched it on, uh, on Global on uh, Saturday night, and it was all right. It wasn't too bad. I mean, there's limitations for what you can do, right? I mean, everyone's at their own respective homes. There's no two people who are together. Uh, Tom Hanks was the host. They had Chris Martin, not Coldplay, as the musical guest. And they had some okay bits. I mean, the, the best one I thought was they had a, a Zoom call, which is a good way to, to get into the whole Zoom call era we're in right now. But it was all right. I mean, there's there's limitations on what you can do, production value wise, and just uh, set value. But I mean, no, you know, I'm, hey, if they can get back, I'll take it. Uh, we need as much of a distraction as we can get. So um, if you haven't seen it, maybe check on demand or uh, something online because uh, you know it's worth a couple minutes to uh, give you something new to watch. Speaking of, there's also a new Tiger King episode. If you haven't uh, seen it already, they've done like a an after show sort of uh, deal with it. It's all right. Watched it yesterday. I'm just so desperate for something else to watch. I checked it out. It was all right. It wasn't great. 
That's the one thing I, you, you do wonder, though. The longer this goes, there's there's new episodes of shows and whatever has been produced, you know, reality or otherwise, whatever's your uh, whatever's uh, your deal that are still coming out. But at a certain point, we are going to hit a roadblock in terms of there's no new material coming out. So for all the people who are loving Netflix and watching TV right now, it might just be nothing but uh, reruns at a certain point because you can't film anything new. Production of a bunch of new shows has uh, been halted because of all this. Now, some positive news over the weekend. Uh, Boris Johnson was released from hospital. Said yesterday he could have gone either way. He thanked healthcare workers for saving his life after he was discharged. He spent three nights in total in ICU before he was returned to, to his ward a couple of days ago. He said in a video on Twitter that he had witnessed the personal courage of hospital staff on the front line. Said two nurses, Jenny from New Zealand and Louise from Portugal, stood by his bedside for 48 hours at the most critical time and named several other hospital workers who cared for him this past week and he wanted to thank. He said the NHS workers kept putting themselves in harm's way, kept uh, risking this deadly virus. That takes that courage, that devotion, that duty, and that love of our NHS that is being unbeatable. He's going to continue his recovery at his country residence. One of the uh, things I do hope comes from the end of all this is we can all just kind of maybe lighten up a little bit. Uh, Justin Timberlake told a joke recently that 24-hour parenting is, quote, just not human. And so people who are... 24-hour parents all the time and not millionaires got upset with them and wanted to take them down online. Uh, Ellen last week told her joke about uh, quarantining is like jail. So the joke was being in quarantine is like being in jail. It's mostly because I've been wearing the same clothes for 10 days and everyone here is gay. People got upset with her because she's a multimillionaire. She's in a uh, mansion and her mansion is obviously not like jail. Like people have just got to like relax. Just relax, all right? We're all anxious enough with this. Just just relax. You don't have to be personally insulted by everything people say or do. Like, if if someone says something silly or stupid, I'm not seeing either of these jokes are that, and it annoys you, you know what? Can we just give people a pass when they say something silly? Like, it's Ellen. Do you hate Ellen now? No, Ellen's not a bad person. Like, just relax, everyone. Just relax. Stephen King also uh, is apologizing for uh, everyone who feels like they're living in a Stephen King, King novel. <laughs> His uh, novel from 1978, The Strand, is about a viral pandemic that decimated the world's population. He says he has had fans say the COVID-19 outbreak feels like they're stepping into one of his horror movies. And all he can say is, I'm sorry. So even he can have some fun with the situation. So everyone, just relax. We're going to get through this. Be cool. We will be cool. We'll take a break. We come back. We will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. (laughs) 
From the 980 CFPL Lexus of London Traffic Center, I'm Nick Van Overloop. Just watch for a road closure on Clark Road between Killaly and Fanshawe Park Road for bridge restoration. Major highways are moving well west to Sarnia and east to Woodstock and Brantford. And as always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. Welcome back to the program, everyone. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good to have you with us on uh, this morning. The Middlesex London Health Unit announced an 18 new cases of COVID-19 in the region on Easter Sunday. We now have a total of 215 cases for uh, London and Middlesex. The health unit also confirmed another death, so our total number of deaths is up to 10. We do have uh, 54 people who have recovered, so that's positive news. No new recoveries were announced yesterday. According to the health unit, 26 cases involve long-term care homes. That's a jump from eight uh, from Saturday. There are five cases in retirement homes. Details regarding the new cases were not immediately available. The uh, health unit says the C6100 area of Victoria Hospital is the most affected area with an outbreak. And the outbreak that we did have that was at Amica and Company Retirement is now over. That is the conclusion of the health unit. We have outbreaks that have affected the Sprucedale Care Center, Earls Court Village, Kensington Village, Chelsea Park, Seasons Strathroy, Grandwood Park, and Henley Place, as well as Meadow. Uh, Park Care Center. Health Unit has confirmed one case of COVID-19 at the long-term care or retirement home is considered an outbreak. That is a provincial uh, declaration. There used to be three cases were needed for an outbreak. Now it's just one case. As of Sunday, the uh, London Health Sciences Center said there are 13 patients being uh, thir- 13 patients being treated for COVID-19 at University University Hospital. One less from Saturday, five are in ICU. Victoria Hospital is treating 10 patients. Ontario had 401 new cases confirmed yesterday, including 21 deaths. We have a total of 7,049 cases in this province. The death toll has risen to 274. We have just over 3,100 resolved cases in the province. That's about 44% of all cases. Sunday's increase in cases marks a 6% jump compared to the day before that. The number has uh, gone down over the past several days. Around 13% of all cases in Ontario have resulted in hospitalization. We have 86 outbreaks at long-term care homes in Ontario. Here's, uh, if you're curious about the uh, breakdown in gender, again, it's those who are between 40 and 59 who make up the majority of the cases. So it's uh, 34% between the ages of 40 and 59, 24.7% of cases are those between 20 and 39, and then 24.2% of cases are those between 60 and 79, with those 80 and over making up 40% of the cases. So the overwhelming majority of the cases are those 40 to 59, followed by 20 to 39 and 60 to 79. So for those who may still feel this is something that is affecting uh, the elderly population almost exclusively, that is incorrect. It can be more deadly for the elderly population, 
But uh, we have seen people who will, you know, are 65 and younger who have died from this. Uh, 65 being the cutoff for senior citizen status, obviously. So uh, everyone needs to be careful out there and use precautions. On Saturday, if you missed it, the provincial government extended the uh, emergency orders related to COVID-19. This will now extend to April the 23rd. This impacts the closure of non-essential workplaces, outdoor park amenities, recreational areas, along with uh, restrictions on social gatherings. We have over 24,000 confirmed cases in Canada. Quebec still has the most in the country with 12,846 cases. They also have the most deaths at 328. Some interesting uh, developments came over the weekend. Specifically, uh, one yesterday, one uh, the day before. So there's a Canadian company that says it has received approval from Health Canada for a rapid portable test to detect the coronavirus. So Spartan Bioscience is based in Ottawa. They say in a news release that came out yesterday, the federal government approval means its tests can now start going out to uh, provinces, to the federal government. They uh, said the uh, the CEO, Paul Lem, said in a statement, we are ready to start shipping out portable COVID-19 tests to the federal and provincial governments and to make them widely available to Canadians. They say the uh, government worked closely with the company in order to expedite the review and approval process. The rapid test uses a coffee cup-sized portable DNA analyzer. They call it the Spartan Cube, as well as uh, test cartridges and swabs. Company said this allows the test to be carried out by non-laboratory personnel in places like airports or pharmacies or remote parts of the country. Experts have previously said rapid testing is crucial for remote communities as well as for keeping people safe when returning to work and allowing borders that shut down at the start of the pandemic to reopen safely. According to a statement by Alberta Health Services, Spartan's test can provide results in less than an hour. I'll say that again. They can provide results in less than an hour. Ontario and Alberta have turned to the company to scale up their testing capacity in both provinces. Alberta is spending $9.5 million for 250 handheld devices and 100,000 testing kits. They hope that will speed up testing in rural areas. At the end of March, uh, Doug Ford said Ontario purchased more than 900,000 COVID-19 testing kits. Most COVID-19 testing is currently done using a swab that goes into the nose. Swabs then are sent to the hospital or they're sent to a public health lab where they are processed and then they have to come back. So a lack of swabs, testing chemicals, and limited uh, lab space have led to some backlogs and some provinces have been, you know, prioritizing who gets those tests. And as we've seen in Ontario, that has led to us really falling behind the rest of the country in terms of testing. Premier Doug Ford said last week that is going to end. It is important to note that as of last night, Health Canada's website did not reflect the information that Spartan Bioscience is uh, releasing. But I would be surprised if they were to be lying about that. But if they are, we will uh, find out soon. The Spartan Cube uses an identical test that has been published by the uh, Centers for Disease uh, Control and Prevention in the United States. 
which has a 100% accuracy rate. So that's also notable. Also, uh, some fantastic news that came out on Saturday was Alberta says it has enough hospital beds and medical supplies to meet the projected demands of the COVID-19 pandemic. Alberta is an outlier in on in Ontario, but also the entire country in terms of having enough equipment for the pandemic. They have so much equipment, they are going to be sending some to Quebec, to Ontario, and to BC. So thanks to Alberta, uh, Ontario is going to be getting 250,000 N95 masks. 2.5 million procedural masks, 15 million gloves, 87,000 goggles, and 50 ventilators. Alberta is doing something wonderful, and we are going to be following up on that later on this week on the show because what they have done should be a learning example for the rest of the country in terms of preparing for a pandemic. We will stop for news. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show at Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Happy to have you along with us today. Uh, rain this morning, chance of thunder, windy this afternoon, sunny, high of 15, clear tonight, low of minus 2. And that's as warm as it's going to get for a couple of days. High of 6 tomorrow, high of 4 Wednesday, high of 4 on Thursday. So our post-Easter forecast, uh, not the warmest. Getting a chilly reception in some parts of the province as well from uh, bylaw officers, uh, police officers. This goes for the entire country. How do you think we're doing when it comes to social distancing? Would you give us a passing grade? Do governments need to crack down harder on people? There is an interesting story out of Oakville this morning. A family is uh, speaking out after they went rollerblading over the weekend and they got ticketed for it. So on Friday, uh, Todd Nelson took his sons, uh, Liam, Brandon, and Dustin, out to uh, rollerblade. They went to Glen Abbey Community Center to rollerblade. But after 45 minutes, a bylaw officer pulled up, told them they had to go. The father, Todd Nelson, Nelson said, uh, who are we hurting? According to him, the bylaw officer said something to the effect of, oh, you're going to be like that, are you? And uh, he said, I was just asking a question. The guy asked for his ID, and they were off to the races for the ticket. The ticket is 880 bucks. That's after the surcharges were included. The alleged offense was violating the emergency order issued by the Ontario government that closed outdoor recreation areas to curb the spread of COVID-19. It's important to note that the entrance of the Glen Abbey Community Centre parking lot remained without any tape or pylons to indicate uh, to people not to enter. Uh, Oakville has recently warned in recent days it is serious about enforcing the provincial uh, emergency order. Mayor Rob Burton said in a statement posted online last week, I urge everyone and I urge parents to tell their children, stop getting together with friends in parks. They are closed for a reason to keep people safe. 
When asked about the uh, case involving this family specifically, the town of Oakville said they would not get into specifics, but said in a statement, we are in a pandemic and the province and town have both put in place orders and bylaws to protect the public to curb the spread of COVID-19. The uh, the city of Toronto over the weekend, uh, with specifically Mayor uh, John Tory, called for stricter enforcement of COVID nineteen measures. After seeing uh, some people take uh, not take uh, social distancing seriously, the mayor has pushed for tougher enforcement in a letter he sent to Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders and to Toronto's uh, Municipal Licensing and Standards Executive Director. So Tory says he believes the time has come for more tickets because authorities are still having informal chats with hundreds of people who are not physically distancing. He said the city in Toronto has received reports of people who do not live together hosting bonfires on the beach, hanging out in groups in parking lots, and playing pickup sports in closed areas. While the mayor cannot direct uh, law enforcement on how to enforce the law, he says stricter enforcement would protect the city's health and help expedite a return to normal. So on Sunday, Toronto issued 48 tickets to people who were not following physical distancing rules at city parks. A statement from the city suggested the crackdown was working as fewer people appeared to be venturing into parks. Toronto now has over 200,000 Uh, cases of COVID-19. I will be interested to see if any more tickets were laid in London over the weekend. Frankly, I'd be surprised if they were not. Uh, We did have 21 people ticketed last weekend for being in parks and places they should not be. And I'm all in favor of cracking down on people and uh, getting tougher with this stuff if we have to. I hate this. You want this to end? Then stay inside and it'll speed up. We need to develop a vaccine, but uh, going inside uh, all the time is going to help. Going outside is not going to help the situation. What if we were told, if we all just stay inside for three weeks, only the most essential of essential workers can go to work, and this will be over. Would you do it? Would you stay inside for three weeks? We'll organize grocery delivery based on your birthday or something, your birth month, to ensure everyone gets food. Would you stay inside for three weeks? Not go out for walks, not do anything. The only time you go outside is if you have a pet and your dog's got to go to the the bathroom. That's it. You can go to your backyard if you have one. You can go on your porch if you have one. You can go on your balcony if you have one. That's as far as going outside goes. Would you do it? I would. I want this to be over. I want sports back. I want regular lives back. And as you look at the situation in the sports world, I think that illustrates where we are right now and how this is all intertwined. Uh, Sports Illustrated had a really good piece over the weekend that spelled out just what a fantasy it is to have any discussion about sports coming back anytime soon. I would not be surprised if this fall, we still don't have the NHL back and the NFL has got to cancel its games. It sounds crazy, but I don't think it's coming back for 2020. That's where I'm putting this on. 
think of all that's involved in quarantine. Like, so all these different leagues have plans. We'll just quarantine everyone. We can play the games without fans. Think about what's involved in that. You got to quarantine the players, league officials, team officials, broadcasters. You got to have people deliver food to them. You got to have security personnel. They've got to be quarantined. You got to have uh, people shuttle people from hotels to the arena. They have to be quarantined. You have to pay them extra to be away from their families. If one of the family members has, you know, someone die, someone gives birth, they want to go see them, they can do that, but then they got to quarantine when they leave. They got to quarantine when they come back. If a food delivery person somehow contracts COVID-19, then you got to shut everything down again. You got to take medical personnel away from hospitals to monitor these games, which is what has to happen in a normal situation. How are people going to feel about taking away resources in terms of people, but also potentially, uh, you know, testing hospital beds, equipment, so we can have something that's non-essential go forward. I'd love to have sports returned, but sports kind of illustrates just how intertwined we all are with this. And the more we just accept that, we are all intertwined. It sounds like it's one of those, you know, marketing and uh, efforts, you know, we're all in this together. It's true. We're all in this together. We're all intertwined. And we cannot have just one party excluded from that. It all works in concert together. So I'm all for cracking down because if that's what's going to help get us through this as quick as possible and as safe as possible, then I'm all for it. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. This is The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning, everybody. I want to talk about uh, China for a little bit and... How much blame China gets for COVID-19, which is a lot. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, there's been increased focus in recent days from some of the uh, pieces I'm reading on China getting its due for the COVID-19 pandemic. And for sure, China has a lot to answer for. There is a lot of compelling evidence. China realized what was going on much earlier than was originally believed and covered it up. This hurt their efforts to contain the virus but also hurt the rest of the world in responding. So while the U.S. has the highest number of reported cases, there is certainly reason to doubt the official numbers coming out of China. It's because of this, uh, I've seen a lot of discussion that the PC police are going overboard and decrying the use of Chinese virus in place of COVID-19. Uh, here's the thing. I've not seen anyone use the term Chinese virus in a non-racist way. I'm sure there are people out there who have uh, and do have, who have done that. And they're just calling it the Chinese virus, not trying to be racist towards Chinese people, Chinese Canadians, Chinese Americans. And we do have a long history of naming viruses after the place of origin. For example, Spanish flu. But the overwhelming majority of times I've seen Chinese virus used has been in a negative way. So I don't think we need to start calling it the Chinese virus. 
let's leave it at COVID-19. But all of that is not to suggest we should not be highly critical of China and pressure them to change their ways and that we can't change the name after this is all over. It is believed the virus started in a wet market in Wuhan, where, like many uh, markets in Asia, farmed and exotic animals are tied up or stacked in cages. Many are then killed on site to ensure freshness. The markets are considered breeding grounds for new and dangerous infections. And health experts say it's because of the close contact between humans and live exotic animals. We do have it easier for viruses to jump between the species. Uh, SARS originated from the same type of market 18 years ago. Scientists have not yet determined exactly how the new coronavirus first infected humans. But Stan Lee Perlman, who is a coronavirus expert at the University of Iowa, said it likely unfolded in a chain of events. Since bats were not sold at the Wuhan market where the virus is believed to have originated, it's likely another animal sold there was infected, but it's believed this did come from bats. So in this instance, he said, they think of the bats infected an intermediary host who then was the immediate source for human infection. But we uh, do not know if this was this case, or rather there was an unidentified uh, bat of coronavirus that was nearly identical to the human strain that jumped to the human. So there's some, some question there. There's still a lot unknown about the origin. There are several bat coronaviruses that theoretically are able to infect humans. And it was predicted by, you know, experts in this, that this could happen and this could happen again. There are competing theories to that one, but that is the most widely held belief. One competing theory is this began via an accidental leak of an engineered bioweapon or a deliberate release. At one point, the Chinese were even suggesting the Americans brought the pandemic to their shores. They later pulled that back because it's just patently ridiculous. Uh, to be clear, U.S. intelligence officials do think there's no evidence whatsoever the coronavirus was created in the lab as a potential bioweapon. Solid scientific research demonstrates the virus was not engineered by humans and that it originated in bats. So while those are competing theories, there is no evidence to suggest that anything other happened than what happened at something with these wet markets. It is important to note, and one of the reasons we do have some of these competing theories is less than 300 yards from the seafood market in Wuhan, where this all began, is the Wuhan branch of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And researchers from that facility and the nearby Wuhan Institute of Virology have posted articles about collecting bat coronaviruses from around China for study to prevent future illness. So did one of those samples leak and something happened? It's, it's possible. But again, the most likely instance is one of these uh, wet markets. What cannot be overshadowed with all of this is the cover-up that was conducted by the Chinese government. 
As Erwin Kotler, who is a former Minister of Justice and Attorney General of Canada, wrote recently in the Times of Israel newspaper, there is very strong evidence that if China had acted on this earlier, three to four weeks earlier than it did, transmission of COVID-19 could have been reduced by 95%. A study was done on this by the University of Southampton. So to quote Kotler, and I'd recommend you read this uh, piece he wrote, for 40 days, President Xi Jinping's party concealed, destroyed, falsified, and fabricated information about the rampant spread of COVID-19 through its state-sanctioned massive surveillance and suppression of data, its misrepresentation of information, its silencing and criminalization of dissent, and its disappearance of whistleblowers. It's a good summarization of the information that has come out of China with regards to their cover-up of COVID-19. Don't forget, before this all began, there were legitimate concerns about security, about the Chinese uh, with uh, the 5G installation that's going to be happening around this uh, this world. Canada still has ongoing issues with Chinese over Huawei and the arrest of two Canadians in retaliation for the arrest of the uh, Huawei executive in BC. China's use of mass surveillance of its people has been on display during the coronavirus. There is no privacy in China. China deserves a lot of blame. Not to suggest there isn't criticism due on the home front as well for how we've responded to this, but China deserves blame. How we have that conversation matters, though. You don't need to be a disease specialist to know why people are concerned about the practice of killing animals at a a market for freshness. The potential for infection is huge. Calling it the Chinese virus is right and wrong. I don't see a great need to do it. Everyone calls it COVID-19. Let's not confuse matters any more than they already are. After this is all done, if we need to reclassify things, go ahead, by all means. But the most common use I've seen of Chinese virus has been for political reasons, not the pursuit of truth. So how we have that conversation matters. China deserves blame, but let's not stray from what's important. How this began, how the global community is going to respond to China, but also how we handle this within this country in terms of getting through this, getting Canadians safely through this, and economically surviving this. So let's not take our eyes off the prize. This is serious, serious business. We will stop for news. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. We are into the second hour of the program. Happy to have you along with us. How long has it been for you? Uh, Depending on when you started to self-isolate, we could be looking at three, four, maybe even five weeks if you were uh, traveling before March break and it was recommended you self-isolate for 14 days. You know, before uh, March break, the guidelines have changed all the way along, right? So at one point it wasn't mandatory. It was suggested. Um, So I do know some people have been, you know, self-isolating for five, going on six weeks at this point. Regardless of how long it has been, I've seen more than a few stories online from friends about how this has been a 
unique experience at home with the kids. What do you do with the kids now that they're home and you're home and you're all home for a while? Well, Lori Shack is a toy expert and toy insider, has to have one of the best job titles ever, Chief Toy Officer. Uh, she joins us now. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, you must be a busy person these days, uh, given your job and people looking for ways uh, to uh, to keep uh, their kids occupied. Um, well, the whole team is. I mean, obviously, like everyone else, we're working from home, but we keep our um, site updated so that parents have a resource. It is not easy, you know, for parents right now. Many of them are working, juggling, working from home. Uh, making sure their kids are doing their homework and, and lessons from home, and then finding time for everyone to get together and have fun. So it is definitely a challenge for many, many parents. Are there, you know, some toys, some products that could help uh, do both uh, be a bit, you know, uh, fun for the kids, but also teach them while they're at home? There are. I mean, one of the things that I love so much about toys in general is not only will they keep kids busy when you put the right things in front of them, but it's helps educate them. There are so many great toys that uh, deal with, you know, construction and building and problem solving and science. So it helps educate them. It helps also make life feel very normal. And it also brings families together. And really one of the biggest things that we're talking about is the puzzle and game category, because it, it gives families a chance to really sit down together. Um, puzzles are actually getting quite hard to find um, because so many people are for the first time or they're puzzlers using jigsaw puzzles to really get the family together. I mean, my husband and I, for the first time, have opened a puzzle. As much as I play, I've never been much of a puzzler. We're working on a 1,500-piece puzzle. That is taking us quite a while. <laughs> but um, companies like Buffalo Games make amazing puzzles, and it's a great way to get the whole family around a table chatting having conversations, um, and, you know, it's something you can come back and forth to because some puzzles you'll finish in a sitting, but some will take quite a while. Are there some, you know, items that are good just to, to break through some of the boredom? Um, uh, puzzles, you know, I, I do like puzzles. I like doing puzzles, you know, in the summer in particular, you know, when we're up at the cottage or something. Uh, but there's also some ways just to, you know, sometimes you just want to cut through the boredom. What are some good ideas just to, to cut through the boredom? Um, well, I love construction toys, and there are so many great choices for everyone. I mean, Lego, obviously, is going to be one of my, my standouts because we'll start with Duplo for our little ones, and you'll go all the way up to your creator kits and your city kits. And, and you know, everyone can find the fandom that they love. So whether they're building Star Wars or Harry Potter or Frozen, there's basically something for everyone there. Um, there's a company called Magformers, and they do magnetic construction. So that is fun. And again, you know, construction toys, you're talking about a lot of problem solving, keeping everybody busy because everyone can get in on the action. And I don't know if you remember the older Rector sets, but Spin Master makes these amazing sets. You can choose between, you know, the piece count, but they are a real project. I mean, you are building something, putting it together, and then, of course, you have playtime after that. And then it's almost as the weather – go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I was just, it's almost like uh, what's old is new again. Yes, yes. We're seeing so many, like when we talk about games. If I was going to talk to you about the games are, that people are playing right now, I'm going to start with things like Uno, Battleship, 
Monopoly, like across the board, because again, Monopoly is a game that we remember as simply the, well, that I remember as simply the classic Monopoly. But these days you can get classic, you can get a Cheater's Edition, or you can get ones like Frozen or LOL Surprise or Mario Kart. I mean, there's so many versions to choose from, but a lot of the retro games that we played, everyone is playing together now. You know, and the other thing that... Sorry, uh, I think I think we're almost on the same page. Uh, well, before we run out of time, just like to get outside, is there ways to uh, get ideas for like backyard play or areas outside just to get a little exercise, but also have fun? Yes, yes. So think about things like this brand new game called Birdie Golf that I love. It's basically a set where you take a weighted flag, toss it, and now you have five sort of golf balls with birdies attached. Two plastic golf clubs, anyone can play. It doesn't go that far. You don't need a lot of space. You talk about Nerf Blasters. They are a ton of fun. Everyone can get in on the action. And, of course, when the weather warms up, we're going to be talking about those water blasters because we don't know what summer is going to look like yet. But the other thing I just want to mention before we go is that on our Toy Insider site, we have a whole listing that we update every single day on free resources to keep kids busy. Um, anything, and, and there's so many companies, um, Crayola, Horizon, these are craft companies giving you free ideas, loads of ideas of things that you can just find from around the house um, and, and do these great, incredible projects. And then we have a whole list of educational projects and lessons from Scholastic, from Vex Robotics. I mean, kids can actually learn to code for free just following the links on this. So this is a, a full uh, piece of free advice for parents with so many things to do at home, um, stories, storybooks. I mean, it really is a great, great uh, thing that, you know, companies keep giving us the information and we are sharing it with parents. So it's a great resource. That is a great information. Toyinsider.com, right? Correct. Absolutely. Uh, Lori, I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Stay safe. That is, uh, you, as, you as well. That is uh, Lori Shack, toy expert uh, from uh, Toy Insider. We need to uh, pause and come back. More of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back, everybody. Good to have you along with us couple of uh, businesses I want to recognize today as part of our locally owned and awesome business uh, feature here at uh, Chorus Radio London and 980 CFPL in particular. Uh, number one, I want to tell you about uh, Purdy's Natural, located at 111 Mount Pleasant Ave in London. You can find them online at purdynatural.ca. That's P-U-R-D-Y, natural.ca. Phone number is 519-630-5305. They have reduced their store hours to between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. You cannot go in the store, uh, obviously, uh, for social distancing uh, reasons, uh, web, phone, and email orders only. They do have a free delivery service uh, for London on Thursdays. Aside from that, you can pick up at the uh, curbside between 11 and 3 So call when you arrive. They'll bring the order to you, sanitize their hands. All orders paid via credit or e-transfer, no cash transactions. also want to tell you about uh, Curry's London, located at 118 Wellington Road South. 
Their phone number is 519-645-3226. You can find them online at currieslondon.com. They do have uh, takeout and delivery uh, right now. Obviously, you cannot eat inside. And you can place your order at currieslondon.com. So two uh, businesses uh, still open in London right now. Uh, we recognize them. We appreciate them. We appreciate all businesses uh, still open right now, finding a way to operate during these pandemic times. Uh, one quick thing I, did, I just saw came in, and um, I'm not going to go super in-depth in it, but I just thought it was interesting. Angus Reid has done a poll on what Canadians are most excited to do once this is uh, over. Uh, people uh, are most excited to hug their friends and family again, 45%. Uh, 31% say they're excited to go to a restaurant, bar, or cafe. 16% say they're excited to go back to work, to their workplace. So I mentioned this because, you know, six months from now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, when you are complaining about your boss, remember this. There were Canadians out there, at least 16%, who were excited to go back to work. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be. I'm excited to go back to work. I would much rather broadcast uh, from our studios in downtown London uh, than from home. But the next time you're complaining about your boss or your coworkers, remember, you wanted to be back with them. The next time you're complaining about uh, the coronavirus and you're stuck in uh, in traffic, remember, we all wanted this to be over. It can be worse. So that uh, that traffic jam, uh, not the worst of things. And that traffic jam lets you listen to the radio a little bit longer. So, uh, hey, win-win. The COVID-19 pandemic has uh, led to great financial hardship for a lot of people. Let's be clear about that. That's why we're uh, spending so much time talking about the people and the businesses affected by this. It's also true, though, in some cases, uh, people have saved money by the simple fact we're not spending all our money on secondary items like we used to. For example, say movie tickets. Now, by not spending money on movie tickets, that also impacts the theaters, that impacts the employees at the movie theaters, that impacts everyone in the supply chain all throughout the process. So it's not a great thing we're not spending money at movie theaters, for example. But we are saving money in many different ways. If you ever wanted to calculate how much money you're saving, there is a new online calculator that lets you figure out uh, how much money you're saving by not going to restaurants, nights out at the uh, bar, car expenses, childcare, anything else. So if you're curious about that, and if you don't do it already yourself, there's a, a website, uh, homesnacks.net has uh, the calculator for you if you want to try and uh, calculate how much money you are saving. Again, that means the economy is being impacted, but there are savings to be had if you're looking for a possibly uh, glasses half full uh, side of things. Still a good idea, though, to order out from restaurants uh, to support local business, support their suppliers, and uh, save yourself from cooking at least once or twice a week. Here's an unexpected uh, side effect of the coronavirus. We are not going to get any new emojis this year. There is actually a consortium which regulates the standard set of emojis 
They've pushed their deadlines back for new emojis. So the next release is coming in 2022. You would think that's something that could be done at home, but I am not a creator of emojis. So I'll leave that to the experts. There's a guy in the UK that was uh, recently busted for driving 130 uh, miles per hour. Said he was avoiding uh, the uh, coronavirus. He was speeding to avoid the coronavirus. His reply to why he was speeding was, I thought the faster I went, the less chance I uh, would have of catching the coronavirus. I appreciate his, uh, his ingenuity in trying to get out of that speeding ticket. With more people cooking at home, there's been an increase in hospital burns and people going to the hospital because of uh, burning themselves at home, which is unfortunate. That is bad just because people are burning themselves. It also takes away resources from COVID-19. And one last little uh, poll before we uh, pause here. Uh, 24% of people say they have gained weight since the beginning of the pandemic. 19% says they've lost weight. 51% say they've maintained their current weight. I'll say I've lost weight since all this began. I've uh, largely uh, gone vegetarian, eating still some meat, but uh, using this as an opportunity to continue to lose weight. Uh, since last September, I've lost almost 60 pounds. So uh, I'm going to try and uh, keep that up over the uh, quarantine. So when I come out of this, I can be uh, all nice and fit and uh, we'll see how things go. So, hey, if you're gaining some weight, no judgment. You do you. If you're able to lose some weight, even better. If you can maintain your weight, fantastic. Let's just get through this. And if the worst thing that comes from this at the end of it is you have to lose some weight, you're doing fine. We'll take a break for news. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Rain this morning, chance of thunder, windy this afternoon, sunny, high of 15, clear tonight, low minus 2, cloudy tomorrow, high of 6, partly sunny with showers on Wednesday, chance of wet flurries early, high of 4, chance of wet flurries on Thursday, high 4 again. So uh, good chance you'll be staying indoors over the next couple of days, more so than you already are, aside from those trips to uh, work, if you're still uh, able to do that, if you're uh, one of the designated businesses, if you're going to the grocery store or going for a walk. I, I want to talk uh, cybersecurity for next little while. Don't know about you, but I've noticed a lot of people, because we're all indoors, we're all online these days, even more so than before. I've noticed a lot of people taking quizzes on Facebook recently, and they're saying, you know, there's nothing else to do. Let's play this. And it's fun. You should try this. Those quizzes are hardly safe, though. And it leads to a whole host of questions just about how cyber secure we are being during these pandemic times. To talk about this, we are joined by David Shipley. He's a cybersecurity expert. He's the Director of Strategic Initiatives and Information Technology Services at the University of New Brunswick. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. How risky are some of these quizzes, or maybe all of these quizzes on Facebook? 
So uh, these quizzes are a super bad idea for a number of reasons. Now, um, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so we've forgotten a lot about some of the other disasters the last couple of years. But Cambridge Analytica and the giant data breach and the abuse of information for electoral fraud and political interference was all powered by an, what seemed to be an innocuous quiz. And so, you know, be very careful what information you provide about yourself, because in many cases, these questions can be very closely related to the security reset uh, password reset questions that your bank or other important accounts might use. How are cyber criminals really capitalizing on this pandemic? Well, cyber criminals have ramped up their activities massively. We've seen COVID-19 related phishing emails go in, over the last couple of weeks increase by about 350%. Um, so they're sending a lot of text message scams, a lot of email-based scams because they're very effective and they prey upon our emotions, particularly fear and anxiety. And, you know, I, I know I'm feeling a great deal more fear and anxiety these days. And so it's a, a ripe for the picking kind of situation. And at the same time, they're also facing facing a bit of an economic crunch as well. And we're seeing activities happening where they're selling access to individuals' personal lives or businesses at rock-bottom prices because they're struggling to make ends meet as well. So, you know, they're hurting and they're lashing out. There are a lot of their victims that they'd be looking for in the restaurant industry or other areas manufacturing are shut down. So they're ramping up, targeting individual households, uh, kids, adults, schools, um, you name it, they're going after it. Also, I think uh, worthy of people remembering that cybersecurity isn't just for your laptop or your desktop, if that's what you're using. It's also your iPad, it's your iPhone, it's your uh, mobile device, your Android, whatever it might be, just because we don't always associate uh, that with being where uh, we need to be concerned about you know, being hacked. But that's where we give away a lot of our information. That's where we spend a lot of our time online. Absolutely. And, you know, what's interesting is that the word cyber itself actually uh, means people in control of technology. And so that's what we have to do during this crisis time and any time for our personal lives and our businesses. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, the iOS and Android sort of smartphones. You know, we've seen situations in previous years where uh, children's game makers were actually uh, providing a bunch of free games. And if you read the terms of service, they actually were turning the microphone on to listen to see what was happening in your household, what ads you were listening to, etc. So, you know, be very careful what you're installing on your computers as you're bored. A lot of people are reaching out looking for free games, other ways of staying entertained online. Um, could be you, could be the kids in your household. And it's a good time to brush up on some basic cyber hygiene um, and get informed about how you can defend yourself. What advice, uh, just given that, would you have for uh, parents when it comes to cyber safety? Well, the big thing is the computer is not a substitute for um, teacher or parental attention, and it's a door to a tremendous amount of good information and a tremendous amount of bad information and a tremendous amount of bad actors. Um, and so, you know, I, I recognize there are a lot of parents who are still trying to work um, and at the same time have kids they are trying to make sure um, stay somewhat educated while schools are closed, um, and they're turning to the computer in the same way that... <laughs> My generation, Generation X, I'm aging myself. You know, our parents used the television. Well, the television was a one-way broadcast medium. The Internet connects you to a lot of um, 
potentially malicious people that may want to harm your children. So a couple of basic rules. Number one, if your kids are under 13, don't let them have computers, iPads, phones in private rooms. Make sure they're using the devices where you can relatively keep an eye on what's going on. Um, if you can and if you have set up parental monitoring and rules, make sure you've got uh, things set up on your router or if you've got tools like uh, the circle by Disney, you can monitor what your kids are doing and talk to them about safe activities. And then make sure you're working with them as they age to build trust so you're not constantly monitoring them, but they understand the risks that are out there in an age-appropriate way. Um, you can't stop parenting online. In fact, you have to parent even harder. That is great advice. Uh, David, I appreciate the time this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you, and stay safe. To you as well. That is uh, David Shipley, a cybersecurity expert and director of strategic initiatives and information technology services at the University of New Brunswick. I'll just share this before we take a break here. Uh, the other day, I was uh, just talking uh, to family who are who I'm living with right now. Um, that I was looking forward to uh, how much I enjoyed the Boston pizza, spicy pierogi pizza. And I, I, it's it's a personal favorite. I just I love the Boston pizza, spicy pierogi, spicy pierogi pizza. Very next day, this was in the evening. Very next day, when the the next morning, when I was logging on, just scrolling through Instagram, what did I get? A targeted ad for a spicy pierogi pizza from Boston Pizza. They're listening, folks. Uh, we need to take a break. When we come back, more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio nine eighty CFPL. Good morning. Rain this morning, chance of thunder, windy this afternoon, sunny, high of 15, clear tonight, low of minus 2 today, cloudy tomorrow, high of 6, your weather forecast from Bentley Hearing Services. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Soon after the COVID-19 pandemic began, London Mayor Ed Holder created two task forces to respond to the impact the coronavirus would have on the community. They'd be looking at the economic and social issues that would uh, arise. On Thursday, a report was issued with 32 ways to survive the pandemic. To talk about this initial report, we are joined by Mayor Ed Holder. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning, Devin. It's uh, good to be on the show. Thanks uh, for uh, coming on. Uh, we uh, need to know how we're going to survive uh, from this. That's what these task, por- task forces are looking at. So what do we need to do to survive everything being shut down here? Well, I think what was important as we uh, undertook to do uh, both of these initiatives was that we had to understand first uh, what's going on, the impacts on uh, on both uh, our business community and uh, the workers associated with, uh, with those businesses and uh, our most vulnerable. And uh, so we undertook these two task forces. Uh, Deputy Mayor Jesse Helmer took a significant lead with me on this. And it was important as we worked together uh, along with members of council uh, to uh, to come up with ways to understand first uh, what's going on. And secondly, where do we go from here as we work through uh, the recovery? I can tell you we're not in that recovery phase right now because we're focused primarily on what the current needs are when you find people that are struggling to meet their rents or their mortgage payments, uh, businesses who don't know how they're going to be able to keep going because of the impacts on retail and service industries. It's hard, and we recognize how tough that is. So firstly, firstly it begins with understanding, and then as we work through that uh, and work with our various levels of government uh, to work with us, then uh, we work through the recovery phase. But uh, right now we've got a lot that we're working through and uh, helping people get through as we... Uh, 
as we cope uh, in the first several weeks of this pandemic. What do we understand some of those needs to be at this point, understanding still some needs could evolve and change over time here as we move through this pandemic? Well, some of it is just uh, working through the uh, political ease of, uh, of of announcements that are are absolutely positively appreciated and well-intended. But sometimes with the myriad of announcements that go out, it gets pretty confusing. It gets confusing for individuals. It gets confusing to businesses. And uh, what was clear was that, and it's clear, and by the way, confusing to agencies that often deal with uh, this kind of work. So what was really clear, one of the uh, first recommendations was Put things in plain language. Put it put it in ways that we can understand. Make it easy for us to be able to uh, manage of the uh, of the uh, supports that are out there. But but put it in a way that uh, in plain language, communicate it clearly, and uh, and we'll be able to help those we are uh, that that we are intended to serve. So that was uh, actually something that you know you think about and then you realize yeah that just makes a world of sense. I mean, there were some very specific uh, areas when we dealt with our most vulnerable and are dealing with them in terms of how do we how do we support them in terms of self isolation? How do we get them? Uh, how do we get them into uh, more uh, secure uh, living arrangements? Because living rough is uh, and on the streets is not uh, is certainly not conducive to good health, nor is it uh, helpful as we go go through the pa- pandemic. So the social uh, impact. Uh, group was really uh, helpful, and you know what struck me, and uh, and Jesse and I talked a bit about this uh, after. What struck me was how, uh, when we met with these uh, different individuals and spoke with them on the phone, because uh, that's how we held our meetings, how collectively they were willing and uh, to be supportive. For example, when uh, someone said, "Well, I've got a big kitchen," uh, and someone said, "Well, I need a kitchen because I've got all this food," and someone said, "Well, I can help with logistics because." I've got vehicles to be able to do that. There was just a coming together that really was London at its best. I found that with business as well. Uh, people needed warehouses. Look, we've even had uh, we've even had uh, companies like Labatt's. Look what they've done. They have uh, uh, changed uh, some of their uh, product line to, into uh, hand sanitizers so that they can uh, do their part as well. People are really willing to work together, and I think it just shows London um, as the great city it is. How much of this, when we look at the uh, uh, addressing this and supporting, but also the recovery, how much is the municipality doing it? How much of it relies on the province and federal governments providing assistance? Well, this is going to sound like an old record. I remember being first elected and I said, no municipality can do it alone. We need the help of our senior levels of government. That's uh, been uh, uh, no more apparent than it is today with these uh, with these situations. Look, there's things that the municipality does, council got in behind uh, uh, eliminating waiving penalties and uh, fees and interest on uh, tax, uh, on property tax, both in, for business and individuals. And we also did the same in terms of deferral of tax on um, for hydro. So there are things that we've done that way, and, and the only restriction that a munis- any municipality has is that we can't go into debt. So that's where you need to rely on senior levels of government to help you. The good news is is that the local MPs and local MPPs were also on the phone line listening as we went through our uh, our business, uh, economic, uh, and social impact uh, task forces. So they heard directly from how people um, uh, how people felt and what they uh, and what needed to be done. So more than we need to uh, rely on the senior levels of government because they have uh, 
more of the wherewithal to, to deal with this, and we'll certainly do our part. And council, I think, has consistently uh, shown that they're willing to do their part. We just need our provincial and federal uh, uh, governments to uh, continue to do what they're doing, which is to be extremely positive, to be progressive, to be helpful, so that we can take care of our most vulnerable and that we have an economy to come back to as we work through this. You mentioned the uh, tax deferrals. I heard from a lot of uh, Londoners, certainly uh, grateful to have uh, that break. Do we reach a point, though, where they start to lose their effectiveness? Because at some point, we do have to have that bill comes due. You mentioned uh, municipalities can't run a deficit. Is there a point where we just have this huge de- you know, financial bomb for businesses, for individuals, where they're still not making money? We have these bills to pay, these taxes to pay, and something's got to give, I guess, maybe from upper levels of government stepping in to help out. But that seems to be like a big concern for a lot of people right now. Well, I, and I think it has to be a concern because it's one thing to get uh, a short-term uh, break, uh, but then at some point uh, when you pay the piper and you realize they've got all these things that accumulate. So we have approached our own uh, our own administration and asked them, are there ways that we could somehow uh, take payments that become due and uh, find a way to, uh, to uh, stream them in such a way that what we do is we take the, uh, the the payment and we stretch that out over a certain period of months. So we're looking at the financial impacts of that. That's going to come before council fairly soon, and we'll look at some of the ways that we could just take some of the stress and ease the pain because it's hard out there, and it's hard if you're not working and you've got uh, and you're trying to deal with folks. It's I, I I really get it. You've got a family to raise and you're trying to do the best you can for them. So. From our standpoint, we're going to look to see what we can do, anything we can do to help take uh, some pressure from uh, Londoners. Finally, this report is not the finished product. What are the next steps for these task forces? I'm glad you mentioned that because we call this our first report from uh, our two task forces, and uh, we meet weekly with uh, some uh, about 200 individuals and groups uh, that represent uh, associations and uh, and industry and uh, our most vulnerable. And uh, that's a that's a weekly constant. And the helpful thing about that is that uh, we have a pretty strong sense of what's going on. So this was fairly lengthy with the 32 recommendations that were in place. Some already, as we were writing this, uh, being actioned, and we've indicated that. But the uh, but our intention is to is to continue to understand what the impacts are because they change, and then to make recommendations to uh, to our own administration and other levels of government and to each other in business and in the community, how we can help out. Uh, Londoners reaching out is, is Londoners, uh, that's Londoners at, uh, at their very best. And, and I'm hopeful that uh, we'll be able to carry on that same spirit and we get through this. Uh, please God, that's uh, sooner than later, but uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that part's out of our hands, except uh, when we continue to talk to people about their self-distancing uh, and doing those hygiene things that really matter. We've been preaching it for the longest time. We mean it, and people have been pretty attentive. Some are challenging, but for the most part, people are great. Mayor Ed Holder, I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for carrying on uh, this interest uh, within, in, uh, within the media to do this. It really helps to get the message out, and I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, and stay safe. You too. We need to stop for news. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. 
One of the constant themes on this show since we began has been the lack of personal protective equipment for frontline workers. We're going to be discussing that again today. Later this hour, we'll be talking to Dr. Melissa Ewan Innes about her push to get more PPE for healthcare workers. Now, that name may sound familiar. We interviewed her on the very first edition of this program a few weeks ago. She started a change.org petition to raise awareness, and we will check in with her to see where we are at. A spoiler alert, where you're not there yet. Here's the problem. We should never have been in this place to begin with. There should not be a global crush for personal protective equipment and ventilators. There should not be fights between 3M and the White House over N95 masks. There should not be concerns about whether we have enough to protect people when they're at their most vulnerable, when they are so valuable. There have been positive stories, stories of individuals and companies stepping up to take out, uh, to, to help out. Later today, we're going to be talking to a woman from Huron County uh, doing her, her part uh, to help uh, frontline healthcare workers. Charities, companies, hockey stars like uh, Haley Wickensizer have all uh, stepped forward to help. It's great, but it should not be necessary. Increasing Canada's strategic stock of protest- personal protective equipment was not a top priority, we have been told, by the uh, government. This came from the country's Minister of Employment, Workforce and Development and Disability Inclusion. In an interview with the West Block's Mercedes Stevenson, Carla Qualtro, who previously served as Canada's Minister of Public Services and Procurement from 2017 to 2019, said during her tenure, officials did not turn our minds as much to updating Canada's PPP reserve despite warnings after the SARS outbreak that another pandemic could occur. She said they were more focused on defense procurement, on getting the Coast Guard the ships they need, on getting the Navy uh, through uh, Phoenix. They had their uh, plates uh, full, they were saying, so it's not their top priority. Nice they're being honest, but it's still a failing. Now, This isn't just a failing of the federal government. This is an issue that we have to deal with provincially. This is an issue we have to deal with across the country. Canada, apparently, according to the uh, federal government, has sourced more than 230 million surgical masks. We have ordered roughly 75 million N95 masks. Canada has also ramped up domestic manufacturing and is looking to whether some PPE, including masks, can be disinfected for reuse. As we were talking earlier on this show, thanks to our friends in Alberta, the province is sending uh, N95 masks, uh, surgical masks, gloves, goggles, and ventilators to Ontario. They're also helping out Quebec and B.C., Uh, Justin Trudeau announced last week that his government is working with several Canadian companies in order to manufacture 30,000 ventilators. That's great. But it is a failing of governments of present day and governments of past day, not just the last government before the ones we have now, but before that and before that. We were told this was going to happen again. 
Back in January, a new series looking at the next pandemic debuted on Netflix. The timing was beyond freaky, but if you watch it, what it talks about is playing out now. Ten years ago, the movie Contagion was made. If you have not watched it, I would not recommend it, but if you have seen it, a lot of what transpired in the movie is happening now. We thought we were prepared after SARS happened 17 years ago. Clearly, we were not. We may have made some improvements, clearly didn't do enough. We need to make it so there's never another rush on personal protective equipment again. We need to make sure that our frontline healthcare workers and all those who have emerged as essential workers in a time of crisis don't have to worry about whether they are protected to do their job so they can help us all. There will still be anxious times. People will still be anxious. People will still be scared. But we cannot be adding to that. We cannot let this happen again. This cannot happen again. It is popular saying history will repeat itself, and it will. We can't control when it does, but we can control what we do when it does and how we respond, and we can respond better. Our frontline workers deserve better. We all deserve better. So if there's anything we take from this, and there's a lot to take from this, one of the top line items should be this cannot happen again, where there's this great crush for PPE for all the people who need it. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you along with us. Our locally owned and awesome businesses of the day are Purdy's Natural located at 111 Mount Pleasant Ave in London. You can find them at uh, purdynatural.ca. You can call them at 519-630-530. They are doing uh, curbside uh, pickup on Thursdays. Uh, Their hours these days are between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., so you can uh, contact to uh, do that uh, online. Everything is uh, socially distanced. Can uh, also uh, Curry's London, located at 118 Wellington Road South. You can find them online at currieslondon.com. You can call at 519 645 3226. You can place your order at currieslondon.com. Uh, two great ways to, uh, to support two local businesses. I did not mention a, a barber shop there, but a shout out to all the barbers right now who A, are not getting any business and B, are going to get a ton of business when this pandemic is over and they have a bunch of uh, motley crude people walking outside for the first time in months and needing a cut and a shave and who knows what else. Uh, I personally uh, do not need to go to the barber because I shave my head and so I am my own barber, but I am seeing an increase number of people talking about how they need to cut their hair. I've had uh, three friends mention uh, they were thinking about uh, shaving their head. One, I asked if they were sure and they backed down. The other, I asked if they were sure and they went ahead and did it. And the third uh, is not a close friend and they actually didn't go through with it. So I was just curious to see what they were going to do. I am happy to say, though, we are now joined by the one who did, none other than our very own Mike Stubbs, voice of the London Knights, host of London Live Between 12 and 3, and now the brand brand new owner of a brand spanking new bald head. Uh, Mike, uh, are you a little chilly this morning? 
you know what? I'm outside on the front porch right now, and uh, and I'm actually enjoying the breeze on the top of my scalp. This isn't bad. Now, take us through your decision to not just give yourself a buzz cut, but to go all the way down. Well, you know what, Devin? As we age, our hair gets a little bit thinner. And mine wasn't as thick as it used to be on top. And when it grows long, it looks even thinner. And I don't know what science brings that to light, but that tends to be a problem for me. The longer it gets, the worse it looks. And even though it's basically just me and my family, uh, I thought, you know, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and make some changes here. And it gave us something to do on a Sunday morning. And uh, there's a little video online on Twitter that you can watch or on Facebook or on Instagram. And you can see how it happened. And I have to thank my wife because she did a lot of the stuff, even though the video makes it look like I did it. She ended up doing a lot of it. And I have to thank my son, Jack, who did the filming and the editing of the video. And now, you know, I didn't wake up with a bedhead this morning. And as much as I will return to a barber one day, I promise, I had to do this right now just for my own, uh, just for my own sanity. That's what I was going to ask. Is this a permanent thing or not? But, I mean, you used to see, like, I kind of had to, like, beat Mother Nature to where things were going, so that's why I decided to start shaving. <laughs> you still, even though you're getting a little bit thinner, you still have a nice, you know, I, if I could have your hair, I would take it in two seconds. So I don't uh, blame you for going back eventually. I can do it from the front. From the front, I can make it look normal. But you see me from the back, and you realize, no, no, that, that's not how you looked when you were 13 or 18 or 25. So, no, I, I might keep it for a while at least right now i think i'll grow in just a little bit because it went right down to the wood because i didn't have uh, a razor i've shaved my head a couple of times i shaved i went uh, went blue and went bald for make a wish one time and i uh, i still see the little boy who was about five years old when i was walking my kids to school he would be on his driveway and he would always yell out blue hair and eventually we cut that off. That had to go through a whole big, long run, though, because the Knights ended up on a playoff run that year, and nobody could touch their hair. And so the blue kind of washed out, and it became kind of green and brown. And I can remember being in the dressing room when the Knights actually won the OHL championship, and my wife cares to grab the Knights captain at that point, Jared Tenorti, and she says, look at his hair. Can he please cut his hair? And so we did those with Clippers, and I've done it a couple of other times for other charity things. But this was just one of those things, being home on a Sunday and not having a lot to do. And I think these days, Devin, we're just making our own entertainment. And this qualifies. Puts a whole new spin on uh, House of Green, I guess. Um, <laughs> did, did anyone in your household need convincing? Or I guess if your wife is helping cut and your son is uh, filming, then they, they had sign-off on this? Yeah, they kind of encouraged it. They... Uh, they were they were ready to do something too. So, yeah, no, no one has too much of a problem. Although all of them have said, I can't believe how bald it is at some point in the last twenty four <laughs> hours. It is very bald. I mean, I, I you get used to it after a while, and I, I find I can't stop rubbing my head. I don't know if I put my hand through my hair before when I used to, because I used to have a luscious, you know, mane of hair and it's all gone yeah. now, but I, I don't know if that's a bald thing where you just keep rubbing your head. I rub my head a lot. So watch out for that. Watch out for bumping your head. It shows up all the time. That happens to me. all the time. I feel like I bump my head more now than I ever did before. And there's no hiding it when you bump your head. Yeah. And the other thing you had said something about sunglasses. What do you have to watch out for when you wear sunglasses? 
So I, I always, whenever sunglasses, it, it's painfully obvious if you've been wearing sunglasses or even glasses at all, because if you go out and get some sun and it's easy to burn your head, it happened real fast. But if you have glasses on or sunglasses, you'll have that streak that goes right across the side of your face. And there is, it, 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 you can kind of hide it sometimes with hair and you can't hide it when you're, when you're a cue ball. Uh, well, I am touching my head a whole lot more. Uh, I do like the feel. I like the fact that I didn't wake up with a bad head and there will be very little care for it. Although I've been told still use shampoo. Really? I, I yeah. don't use shampoo. No. Okay. So that's kind of an option. No. I, yeah. I mean, I've never, since I did this, I've never done shampoo. Although people always look at me weird when I go to the store and I buy shampoo for others because you know there's no <laughs> hair there. Um, but I do get odd looks sometimes. I've never used the shampoo. Maybe there's a science and I'm missing out. I don't know. But I do know uh, the whole drying off period because you don't have to dry your hair. It's it's you're, you're going to save so much time uh, with showering. You're not going to be able, you're going to have even more time on your hands. You're not going to know what to do with yourself. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, just finally, how do you think people are doing with this self-isolation? Because I've seen a lot of people talking about their hair and needing a barber and wanting to get out and do these uh, types of different things. And as you say, this was providing some entertainment on a Sunday. Yeah, it was. And I think, I think there's a real divide. I mean, you look at some of the statistics from Toronto, even over the weekend, and I'm sure we're going to get similar ones for London, where you've got police having to warn a lot of people. There's still a lot of misunderstanding. Dr. Chris Mackey had tweeted something about have a six-foot Easter and immediately received a tweet back saying, could we have some clarification, this five-person rule? Does that mean you can have five different people over to your house? And I thought, really? Is this where we still are? So I think there are a lot of people who are finding their own entertainment and finding new relationships with their families again. And then there are those who still aren't either taking this seriously or just aren't paying attention. And that's a real dangerous thing that still exists. Plus, you look at China, and this is something we have to consider. China took off a lot of the restrictions. They were allowing some border crossings with Russia, and they have seen their case total basically double in the last couple of days to where it was. So it's not like they lifted the restrictions and everything went back to normal. They lifted the restrictions, and now they've seen an increase in cases. Today, I think they've reported 108 new ones, which isn't a big number when you look at the rest of the world. But, Devin, let's face it, this is still something that spreads very quickly, very easily, and we still have to take all of those precautions. So if it means staying inside and shaving heads, uh, that's what it means. Stay inside, shave your head. Well said, uh, Mike. I appreciate the time today. We'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Thanks, Devin. That is Mike Stubbs, host of London Live from 12 to 3 and the newest bold man at the radio station. When I asked Mike if he'd uh, join me for a few minutes today, he said, of course, us bald guys have to stick together, and I love it. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Globe News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. A few weeks ago, when this uh, show began, we uh, changed our format on this radio station uh, to uh, better respond to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, we talked to Dr. Melissa Ewan Innes, who started a petition along with a coalition of other doctors in Ontario aimed at raising awareness about the uh, lack of personal protective equipment. Since that interview, which was almost a month ago, nearly uh, 200,000 people have signed that petition. However, the concerns about PPE remain. To talk about those continued concerns, we are once again joined by Dr. Melissa Ewan Innes. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Devin. 
How have things changed since we last talked a few weeks ago, or have they changed? Well, I can tell you that at my hospital, we did get a restocking of some of our masks, but we ran out of other masks. So, you know, good news and bad news, I guess. We're one of the more fortunate hospitals, but what I worry about is our paramedics, long-term care, and other essential workers, because we all need protection. This issue of uh, supplies of PPE, this is going to be an ongoing problem for a while. We go through a tremendous amount of uh, the uh, personal protective equipment in a day, which is, I think, what we've seen with uh, a number of people showing just how much is needed just to go through one day. Uh, How long do you think this concern is going to last? Is it straight through the end of the pandemic? Yeah, it really depends how fast we can get off the ground and running with Canadian production and with buying and getting donations of equipment. So it's almost like we're paying catch-up every day or every week. I know that uh, politicians and other leaders are working on it, but it's just that the people on the ground are like, (laughs) I really hope this is going to happen and then we're not running out every, you know, we can't even predict how long because we don't know what's coming and what's not. Should we have ever even been in this position after SARS happened? We were were talking, especially in the early days of this pandemic, but in, in some cases, we, we did learn a lot, but still, we shouldn't be in this position right now. Right. You would have hoped that we would have learned from it and said we need to have this stockpile of equipment just in case a pandemic happens. And some experts think that a pandemic will happen every five to six years. So I hope that we learn from this and say, and then we don't get complacent and think, okay, well, we need to really divert our money elsewhere Um, If you don't have your health, you don't have anything. So we really need to make sure that we've got a strong healthcare system and have all the equipment that we need and that we support our personnel. The petition has received a lot of attention, a lot of signatures. Are you seeing the type of response from government and hospitals uh, you want to see? I think that certainly they've shown that they know about the need and that they're working on it. Um, the problem is, of course, just ramping up production and um, just choosing which company is going to do it. Um, quality control is a big problem because, as you probably know and your listeners have heard, that some masks have had to be sent back, you know, from ripping and tearing and just poor quality. And, um, you know, Holland had trouble with some defective test kits and that sort of thing. So it's not only a matter of having the equipment, it has to be quality equipment um, that's still going to protect us. Are frontline healthcare workers more concerned today than a few weeks ago? I don't know. Sometimes you think watching the beast advance, you know, seeing it march through from China to Italy, Spain, the United States, like it's getting closer and closer. Sometimes the fear is worse because you don't know what's going to happen. In some ways, I think we do feel better knowing that politicians are trying to act on it. In other ways, it's worse because, you know, right now you see us running out of equipment or knowing that some places have more than others. You know, it's great that, for example, Alberta is sending their excess equipment here. Um, The concern is just how will it be divided? And by the time it gets to one hospital or one long-term care center, how many masks or other gowns will be left? Um, So we really appreciate the effort people are putting in. Um, Just we we need more and consistent supplies. 
Yeah, I mean, I, we've, we've talked about what Alberta is doing on the show uh, today, and it's great that they're able to help out Ontario, Quebec, and BC, but even as large as the numbers are for some of what they're sending to each province, it's not going to last for long, just given, you know, how much is needed to do your job properly. And we know uh, from lots of different uh, cases, you know, you're having to use pieces of equipment longer than you might want to normally or normally would. Uh, just the the absolute crush that is needed is, you know, this. it's great from Alberta, but it's not going to be the answer in any way shape or form no for sure we're still rationing and there are still places that don't have anything like the family doctors don't have any equipment um, uh, i guess and have to sorry lay their hands on it Although i, I guess just that, that just certain groups are not able to lay their hands on it yeah, well, I mean, front, you know, we were talking, we, obviously we look at hospitals, but also, as you mentioned, you know, long-term care homes, we're seeing the explosion in terms of the number of outbreaks across the country. In Ontario, we've had like a number of outbreaks, I think over 80 now, we're in Ontario in long-term care homes. Uh, we need to make sure uh, those workers have the equipment they need because if they don't have it, then they're as, as risk, uh, the, the residents are as risk, and the the toll this has taken on long-term care homes is is heartbreaking. Yes, absolutely. They're some of our, our most vulnerable people, and we have to protect them. And so they are absolutely included in our petition. You know, that's front line, looking after our elders. Well, I, I appreciate you joining us today. I don't think we should uh, stop on the push for PPE. It's going to continue today, uh, tomorrow, next week, and the month after that. Uh, Dr. Uh, Ewan Innes, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me, Devin. Keep up the good work. Thank you. You as well, and stay safe. Uh, that is uh, Dr. Melissa Ewan Innes. She is a emergency physician and hospitalist at Glengarry Memorial Hospital in Alexandria, Ontario. Uh, the donation from alberta is fantastic and it is something we are going to follow up on what alberta did right to put themselves in the position where they are able to send that equipment uh, the uh, both in terms of ppe but also ventilators to three different provinces and still have enough for themselves so we are going to follow up on that this week on the show in terms of what they did right to prepare for this what we can learn from it. But as I was saying earlier this hour, this cannot happen again where we have this huge, tremendous crush for equipment to have those who are most vulnerable, so valuable to us, be in this position that they are in right now, which is just uh, something I cannot even imagine. And... Uh, truly appreciate just how difficult it is to go to work every day as a doctor, a nurse, as uh, you know, a worker at a long-term care home, having to do your job, even thinking about the, you know, our the people driving a bus in London, people at the grocery store, so many different people who are putting everything on the line for us. We need to be taking care of them. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will have more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Happy to have you along with us on this Monday morning. Hope your day is going along nicely. Rain this morning, chance of thunder, windy this afternoon, uh, sunny in the afternoon as well. High of 15, clear tonight, low minus 2, cloudy tomorrow, high of 6. 
Partly sunny with showers on Wednesday. Chance of wet flurries early, early a high of four. Chance of wet flurries again on Thursday, high of four then as well. So uh, today is going to be the warmest day we have for a while. But uh, if you do decide to get outside and uh, stretch your legs, uh, do uh, keep that social distancing in mind. Uh, two locally owned and awesome businesses to tell you about today. Number one, Purdy's Natural. You can find them in the city at 111 Mount Pleasant Ave in London. Website is purdynatural.ca. Their phone number is 519-630-5305. They're open between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. these days uh, during uh, the pandemic. They are open, though, so you can uh, put in an email, a phone uh, order. They have free delivery on Thursdays. They also offer a curbside pickup between 11 and 3. Call them when you arrive. They'll bring the order to you. They will sanitize everything up. They'll be uh, doing everything socially distant. All orders will be prepaid with credit or e-transfer, no cash transactions. Also want to tell you about uh, Curry's London. They are located at 111, 118, sorry, Wellington Road South. You can find them online at curryslondon.ca. 519-645-3226 is the number to call. And they are taking orders online at curryslondon.com. Give them a call. Uh, I mentioned if you were looking for something for dinner to uh, not have to make something yourself. It's a, a nice way to uh, support a local business. Well, also um, giving yourself a little bit of a break from making dinner tonight or tomorrow night or, or any other night. There's a lots of uh, local businesses uh, doing great things during these uh, pandemic times. And if we can support them, then we can uh, all get through this a little bit better. And I know I've seen a couple things online about, you know, Takeout Tuesday. If that's something you want to do, by all means, go ahead. If not... Uh, do it any day you want, really. I mean, there's no rules with this stuff. Let's just all uh, look out for each other, and hopefully we get through the other side of it all. There have been wonderful stories of people looking out for one another, of different organizations sourcing uh, materials, uh, sourcing you know masks, uh, PPE, for uh, those t- for hospitals to use, for frontline workers to use. There have been stories of individuals and different businesses making some that they can give to frontline healthcare workers. So that is fantastic to see. The way everyone is coming together is wonderful. One of those stories is out of Huron County. And I want to share that with you uh, now. Uh, Melissa Erb is uh, someone who has uh, wor- been working with a team of volunteers making scrub caps, headbands, and masks for healthcare workers and frontline workers in Huron County. Uh, Melissa joins us now. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Very good. Very good. Thank you. What was the inspiration for uh, some of this? So my niece is a nurse, and she asked me to make her a scrub cap. So I made her a scrub cap and a headband with buttons on the side of it. And that's not a new new idea. I can't take credit for that for sure. Um, But she posted it on my page, and immediately I had upwards of 50 requests. So I posted on my page that I was willing to do as much as I could with the fabric that I had. 
um, and I would be gifting all of these items. And if anybody felt like donating, I would gladly accept their donations. So we caught the eye of a local man who donated some money, and I immediately spent it in a local store to purchase some fabric. Then we started to get drop-offs of people donating fabric to me and buttons and everything we possibly would need, which was fabulous. But I needed some help. So I asked um, for some volunteers, and you would not believe the people that volunteered. Right now, we have over 100 volunteers helping on our project. It is unbelievable to see that number of volunteers, but that number of uh, donations come in for materials. It's fantastic. Absolutely. And we caught the eye of Trina Merkel, and she owns the Cotton Harvest Quilt Store in Seaforth. And she has generously donated bolts and bolts of fabric to us. And we had lots of volunteers that took all that fabric home and washed it and ironed it and cut it and got it ready for our sewers. And then lots of people sewed it up. Um, And we, at this point, have created over 1,600 scrub caps, um, about 450 masks. Uh, We had another uh, team that started to make the straps that go on the back of your head to hold a mask if you didn't want to wear a scrub cap or your facility didn't allow you to. We have over 1,600 of those. It's been an amazing opportunity, and the entire community has helped. How long does it take to make a cap or a headband or a mask? Um, it, that's hard to say because we have different people doing different things um, and bringing it to different stages. So, like, we would have somebody wash the fabric and then somebody cut the fabric and then somebody sew. We wanted to include as many volunteers as we could and not just people that can sew because everybody wants to help. We all want to support the frontline workers, and we are glad to have as many volunteers as we have. Um, so I would say if you did start to finish, it would maybe take... Uh, 30 to 40 minutes for one. It's it's incredible. I mean, at some point, as much as you want to help, you think, holy, holy smokes, you know, what have I gotten myself into as you're just seeing all this material and in all these volunteers? I mean, this is, it's not easy to, to organize that and make sure you're getting it to where it needs to be. It's definitely not easy, that's for sure. It has definitely consumed 13 days of my life since April 1st, but you know what? It has been fabulous. I have met so many great people We have awesome people in here in county that will give and give and give just to make sure that our frontline uh, workers are safe. And, um, yeah, it's been amazing. So where will all of this uh, be going, and how long do you uh, plan on doing this for? So we have already uh, distributed over 970 scrub caps, um, over 250 masks, Um, over, I think, 600 of those neck straps. So we are hitting every facility in Huron County that will allow us to donate. If their policies are that they can't use some of our items, that's totally okay. We just ask that what we have donated gets paid forward to someone else in the healthcare community or another frontline worker that is able to use it. It is a wonderful story. Melissa, thank you for uh, helping our frontline workers and for doing this and uh, putting it all together. It is a, is a wonderful thing, and you're doing, uh, you're doing, you're doing something great at a uh, tough uh, time and at a time we all need it. Well, thank you so much. We will continue as long as we have materials and as long as there's a need. Um, and I have to say, this could not have happened without the donations of fabric from people, the monetary donations, 
the donation from Trina of all those fabrics, and honestly, the help of over 100 volunteers. It's awesome. Uh, Melissa, stay safe, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Devin. Bye-bye. That is uh, Melissa Herbe here on County Woman, who, along with a group of volunteers, has been making scrub cabs, headbands, and masks for healthcare workers and frontline workers in Huron County. It is awesome. Uh, my thanks to uh, Lori Shack, to David Shipley, to Marriott Holder, Mike Stubbs, Dr. Melissa Ewan Innes, and Melissa Herb for coming on the show. Jacqueline Carbone is our content producer. Nick Van Overloop is our technical producer. Steve Spruel is our engineer. Stay tuned for the Craig Needle Show coming up next, followed by London Live with Mike Stubbs and the Afternoon Show with Jess Brady. Have a great day. Stay safe. We'll be back in 21 hours.